Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grindin' shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I am your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, and this is episode 182. And the guest for this episode is Joe Corallo, comic book writer and editor, who recently co-created and wrote the comic book She Said Destroy, along with comic book artist Leanna Kangas, who was previously on the podcast, which just ended its five-issue run via Vault Comics last week. And it is amazing. Carallo also organized and co-edited the Eisner-nominated Ringo-winning Mine, edited the Glad-nominated Oh Shit, It's Kim and Kim, and co-edited Deadbeats via A Wave Blue World. During our talk, uh, Joe shares with us a story on how She Said Destroy was created in an artistic collaboration with Leanna Kangas. We also get into Deadbeats, which is about to be released through A Wave Blue World, along with the representation and discussion of people of color and queer characters in comics. All right, without further ado, let's get into the interview with Joe Corallo. Yeah, you and Leanna Kangas... Uh, this uh, book that you both created with, uh, she said, Destroy. It looks beautiful. Uh, I think it's a great story. So uh, just kind of uh, talk about, you know, how this story got started. You know, you know, where, you know, where did you two uh, kind of come up with this idea for this, uh, for this book? Sure. Um, I, I mean, the core of it was I was having a discussion with a friend of mine, uh, Beth Rimmels. Uh, we were talking about... Uh, the Wicked and the Divine, and, you know, some of the gods came up, and the Morgan in particular came up, and, uh, you know, uh, Beth in particular was talking about how 
Well, the Morgan's always like not always, but almost always shown in like a negative light or is like a two dimensional sort of character. The people don't do much with her, even though she pops up a lot in pop culture stuff. And, you know, we, we were talking about that and I was thinking about that. And, you know, I'd want to do something with characters like that. So I started putting this kind of story together. And that's sort of how that started. And then it turned into, well, I kind of want to do this story about this, like, final confrontation. And there's only going to be one other god. And who's it going to be? And Bridget just made the most sense, you know, to sort of have this dark versus light kind of story. But you flip it. So the darker elements are the protagonists. And then... I, I approached Liana about this because I'd already kind of worked with her uh, a little indirectly on the Mine Anthology, where, you know, that was a benefit for Planned Parenthood that I organized and I co-edited with Molly Jackson. And she was doing Pat Chan's story. And I met her at our big signing for Forbidden Planet. Um, so the, there, like the last weekend of 2017, and then I had this idea, I want to say around February of 2018, and I talked to her about it and she was interested. She was the first artist I talked to about it, you know, and, and one of the funny things with this in particular, which I think is different than a, a lot of other people's stories about having these ideas come about. This is one of the rare instances where it's like, yeah, first artist I talked to said yes, and the first publisher we talked to said yes. So, <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, you, you know, I've had plenty of other ideas that have not happened like this, and I don't know if this will ever happen again. But, like, it, it all sort of synced up just right, and they were into the idea, and not only was Vault into the idea, and we actually kind of firmed that up last San Diego Comic-Con, actually, we were able to get in, you know, they offered us, you know, a, a slot with it that was early in their 2020 schedule. So it all kind of, you know, worked out where we were really good to go on it pretty quick. So basically, as soon as Liana wrapped up uh, Black AF Devils Die at Black Mask, and as soon as that third arc of uh, Oh Shit, It's Kim and Kim was wrapped up that I was editing we basically just both jumped into this. So we both did books at the same time at Black Mask and then together at Vault. When you're, you know, taking like a character, like you were saying before with, uh, you know, the Morgan, where mm -hmm. it's kind of been, you know, this two-dimensional character, how do, you how do you sort of develop it more into something that you wanted to do, you know, with all those ideas that you had? Yeah, no, definitely. So basically what happened was a two-pronged approach. At first, what I did was have it set in the far future. I knew I wanted to do that right away. Um, first, to give it a flavor that we normally don't see, because usually we see these characters are either done in the past or in a contemporary sort of way. So I was like, well, the first thing we're going to do is have it in the far future, so it kind of stands out. And then to help flesh out these characters more and to give them more depth, 
you know, I created these sort of avatar kind of characters for them, Winona for uh, the Morgan and Brixton for uh, Bridget. So that way we could kind of see the, the importance of these characters and what they mean to other people. And, it, it, you know, so so that was kind of the approach to kind of flesh these characters out and give them some more. What was sort of your working relationship with uh, Liana to sort of, to have the story in its words and also the the artwork to you know complement it? Because I know even in the first uh, two uh, issues there was like times when there was just a beautiful page, you know, mm-hmm. with just one you know uh, panel of artwork and it was beautiful, you know that that Liana mm-hmm. was able to do. You know, so what was sort of, uh, you know, your method of operation between working between the words and the artwork? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of this was like, I usually write pretty descriptive scripts. So I'll usually go in and write everything out pretty heavily. And then I'll like, I usually do it on Google Docs and then just share it with Liana so she can add her notes and we'll do it that way. Right. <laughs> uh, usually, but, but honestly, what ends up happening is Liana usually doesn't have that many notes. And then I don't really push back when she wants to change things. And it just turns into sort of this like, okay, you know, like, you know, usually I, I know that you know, she likes sp- splash pages. She likes the double page spreads to really like show what she's capable of. So I go into the script knowing to do that. So I'm looking for opportunities like, oh, this is an opportunity where we can, you know, stop, breathe for a minute and have a nice splash page. Or, oh, this is a fight scene. This would be great if we did a double page spread here and, and stuff like that. So, you know, the double page spreads also give her, you know, sort of the opportunity to kind of play with layout and, and all of that. And, um, what was it like in the first issue? Um, we did that one page. I, I love that page where it's the, the crow statue is done as like a background piece, but there's the three tall panels going down. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's something I wanted to do. And Leona like that. So, most of the issues have a page directed in a similar sort of way is like another way to, you know, hit that. Cause I really like how that kind of came out and Liana liked doing it. So just that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and then Adrian of course is the editor really helps to come in and, you know, clean up the dialogue and, and add other elements to it. Um, cause I tend to overwrite so that Adrian <laughs> can come in and take the best parts. And I prefer to do it that way instead of, you know, underwriting. And then you're like, Oh, what do we do here? And then it's like a brainstorming session instead of just like, we'll just clip this, this, and this, and we're done. Right, because like uh, if you if you're if you already have an editor going to look at this anyways, might might as well overwrite a little bit because what you mm-hmm. might think is is like good, someone else under someone else's eyes they might think like something else is good, you know, that you might have yeah. held back on, you know, underwriting. 
No, absolutely. So there's been multiple instances where, like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of saying the same thing a couple of times. So Adrian will come in and be like, "When you said it this way, was better." So we're going to chop that and keep this, <laughs> and like, and that's kind of how the the, the script sort of come along. And and yeah, um, and then once it gets to like the lettering phase. You know, there's the last minute kind of changes with some of the dialogue because we might do a pass and be like, well, like, like I know with issue two, there, you, you know, we clarified a, one part early on in the scene with the um, interrogation in the very beginning, you know, just because it, it read better with a little more explanation. So. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to Liana, we actually, you know, there was, uh, we're working on issue four right now. Uh, I mean, I'm working on issue five and Liana's working on issue four. Yeah. So we just went, we were going over some of the pages and there was something that kind of needed to be changed. But... Liana liked this page so much that it was like, you know what? Forget it. We're keeping this page and we'll figure it out. <laughs> you, you know? So like, cause the, the, it's a gorgeous page and it was like, we'll figure it out. So Liana came up with dialogue for that page to make it make sense. And I'm going to go in and edit it a little bit, and, you know, to have it fit with the rest of the, you know, story and then Adrian will go do his pass and we'll, it'll get there. But yeah, you know, there's just, you know, stuff like that happens. It makes it, you know, very collaborative and we're always, you know, in communication. So it, it helps. Yeah. I love the one page. It was in, um, issue two and I posted it on my, uh, Instagram where there's that Ooh. like sort of, uh, I don't know, those waterfalls, like bird feeder looking things. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of sitting there contemplating. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love that page. So, as somebody yeah. who is, you know, the writer of this, uh, of this story, but also, you know, does editing work, you know, what's your sort of idea about, you know, letting the words tell a story combined with letting the artwork tell a story? You know, where do you try to find that balance? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of it comes from, you know, if it's on the page and it's very clear, we don't need to state it. So, like, you know, I'm always trying to avoid stuff that's like, you know, like if you can see something in the distance and someone's pointing to something and going, you know, this way or something, that's fine. But, like, not, not going, like, that way to the top of the mountain where we need to be, you know, like there's just like, <laughs> right. You don't need to be pointing something at something, like then tell everybody what it is. You know, <laughs> I think yeah. people can get it. So like, it's, it's not an audio drama. It's like, you don't have to just like, you don't have to physically describe things. So like cutting that out, um, keeping internal narrations to an absolute minimum, uh, really in this book, one, I just about the only character that does that is the Morgan. 
because it's kind of, you know, in a way, it's like her story. Yeah. You know, it's like a combined Morgan and Winona story. And since the Morgan isn't always there, you know, there's some narration there. But other than that, keeping that narration otherwise to an absolute minimum is kind of how I've been conducting it. And that seems to be working. So, so yeah, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, when you're editing something, it's really – and you're not attached to the – scripting or creative and it's easy to go in and just be like this 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 cut this cut this um there was only one instance so far um and like issue three has gone to print already obviously because it comes out in a few weeks but in the first three issues there was only one thing i had to push back on and being like this has to and, and even then, we still changed it, but how we changed it and stuff, I, I push back on just to be like, it has to, this bit of dialogue has to explain this or else you're not going to get the impact of what's happening. And like, yeah, like that was the only time on my end that I had to, you know, stand a little bit of ground in terms of writer and editor and the collaboratives, but but yeah, I, I mean, luckily, as an editor, I haven't had to deal with too much pushback. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's there's a little bit, but like, you know, just getting those those key sort of bits of story along, um, being a little more on the outside makes it easier to see a lot of these things. And see these story elements and, you know, like, um, I, I'm not going to go into the details, but a, another project that I'm editing right now, there was a little bit where there was like sister character introduced who had dialogue for like one page and then she drops off for the rest of the issue. <laughs> and I was like, you can't do that. Like, don't, like, don't, like... Page pages in comics are such precious real estate. Right, right. That you can't waste time introducing characters, doing things with characters, if they're not going to be somewhat important or something that's important to that character. And part of that is the repetition of them coming back and seeing them, even if it's in the background. You know, just to be like, okay, this this is a character that's there. So, so that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we try to really do that. You know, with she said destroying being conscious of that. Like, um, you know, uh, Captain Orak has a lot more to do in the first issue than the second issue. But that's not the last we see of Captain Orak. So that kind of stuff. Aside from the, the main storyline in She Said Destroy... Is there any underlying sort of universal stories that you feel like are being taught just between any of the characters that are in this story? So, like, what? Like, other lessons outside of... 
Yeah, just sort of like, you know, B-line, C-line stories that are kind of maybe between two of the characters that you feel like you're trying to express, but they're they're kind of connected to the main story, but on their own that they're sort of a story in itself. Yeah, I I mean, there's an arc with uh, Raul that you're going to be seeing more of that's going to be clarified a little more in issue three. Um, you know, cause we have Raul's first encounter with, uh, Gareth in issue two and, you know, we build on that and, you know, we sort of see this arc that, uh, Raul's going through and, um, you know, we really dive into in issue three, more of Brixton and Bridget's arc cause they have a whole thing going on and Brixton has a story arc that also like you're going to see over the next few issues. You know, since, uh, since this comic has been, uh, first announced, you know, it seems like there's been a, uh, a lot of good buzz around it. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, you know, what's been the feedback since you've had, uh, two issues out already, you know, what mm-hmm. sort of things are you uh, hearing? You know, what things, what things didn't you expect to hear? You know, what's been interesting mm-hmm. about this comic being out thus far? Yeah, I I mean, uh, the feedback's been mostly positive. You know, we we had a a really great Midwest tour. We actually did, you know, better than, you know, we were anticipating in a way. Um, You know, I know it's been very good for uh, Leon as well. Um, I've had positive feedback from uh, other professionals in the industry and peers. You know, um... It's not that different in the kind of feedback you get from a lot of like sci-fi fantasy stuff that's like doing something new and different with some of these established figures. And, you know, because of that, you do get, you know, criticisms of like, I've already heard this story before, and this is like, you know, there's nothing new here and all of that, which I, I don't think is true, but like, that's something that's been said about everything, you know, no matter how, you know, interesting it is. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of other similar examples, but... I mean, you know, every time a new sci-fi or fantasy movie comes out or show, there's always criticism of, I've already seen this before. I know it's going to happen and all of that. I don't think that's the case. Um, You know, a a lot of people have given some feedback about, you know, the influences and stuff like that being very clear and and wearing them on their sleeve. But like, I have so many influences and so many things I'm interested in. I'm referencing that. I really don't think people are catching everything. Yeah. I I mean, I like, there's everything from star Wars, sailor moon to, you know, twin peaks in Chinatown uh, are influences. So like, I don't, I don't think that's entirely fair, but I get it. 
<laughs> you know, you can't at the same time, you also have to understand that you're not sitting in every single reader's living room and giving them the play by play on every panel and every page. So, you, you know, and and ultimately people like what they want. And luckily, a lot of people seem to like this. So when I, you know, when I open like right now, I'm, I'm looking, I'm actually looking at uh, issue two. When I open okay. it up, I see women, I see people of color, I see mm-hmm. a dude with blue hair, you know, I see, I mm-hmm. see that like, you know, this is a, a book that can represent, you know, different marginalized types of people or, mm-hmm. you know, the misfits, the outcasts, you know, you know, how mm-hmm. important was it to to make this, you know, make the characters in this, uh, in this book to be quite diverse. Yeah. Um, this was something that was really important to us out the gate. Um, you know, and, and one thing about the book too, that like we, we haven't really, I, I guess, made like huge deal about it or anything like that, but every one of the, four creatives on the book, you know, me, Liana, uh, Rebecca Nolte, and Melody Ujimori are all queer. And, you know, we're definitely tackling this with a queer lens. Uh, One of the other things I wanted to do, too, for this book was all of sort of the mortal characters are all using sort of like they, them, and non-binary pronouns and things like that, whereas the gods um, are she, her. And, you know, just just little things like that that we're not, like, spelling out to people, but it's all in there. Right. And, um, you know, so that was all really important and intentional. Um, and, And, yeah, making it that point to show up diverse grouping of people um you know both liana and rebecca have obviously been on top of that as well you know i can make the notes but they're the ones who make it happen on the page and you know just just making those sort of choices i mean i wanted i'm trying to think how to say this because like Liana and I were really very much on the same page. Right. And I, I wanted, you know, one of the gods to, to be black and, and Bridget made the most sense. And Liana immediately went with that and then was like, oh, this is like how I want to do Bridget. And I was like, that's awesome. That's kind of how I was hoping we'd go with Bridget anyway. And... You know, all, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, Liana's also dropped in references to, you know, people in her life, people she knows, and making sure to represent, you know, people of color in the background as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm glad we were able to do something like this without getting, like, too much pushback. You know, not so much from Vault, obviously, but from, like, retailers and 
you know, different, um, you know, customer bases and stuff like that. And like, we haven't, there hasn't really been anything on, you know, social media making a big deal about it or anything, which has been really nice. Uh, cause it's kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> right. It can be. But when, like, when you're thinking about those sort of things as when you have a whole creative team that is queer and there, there's times when there's, um, you know, queer creators that like are, they just kind of want to do their work and they don't necessarily want to, you know, jam that sort of thing down people's throats or they're sick mm -hmm. of talking about talking about it all or sick of uh, educating mm -hmm. people on how to deal sure. with queerness, you know, sort of how to, like as somebody who's making this book that is, you know, partly representing where you're coming from, from a lifestyle you're coming from, sort of how do you balance like wanting to make this piece of art, you know, and hopefully having it be something that progresses the, the, you know, the comic book industry with like just the idea of, I just want to normalize this. I just don't want to make a big deal. I don't want to jam this thing down your throats. You know, I feel like there is like a balance between that. Cause there's some people that don't necessarily always want to talk about, you know, spend all their time talking about how other people should deal with their lifestyle. You know, how do you balance that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Something with a book like this, it's definitely not like a 101 course. There's no hand-holding. It's just like this is the world, and it's uh, right, yeah. you know, very aesthetically queer sort of world, and that's kind of the stuff I, I want to do with this particular story. I, I understand and respect queer creators who either are avoiding that because that's not what they feel like talking about or dive into like the, you know, queer 101 type stuff. Right. Uh, you, you know, like I, I don't like that kind of, I guess like, you know, that like policing each other sort of thing in that respect. It's like, there's, you know, every comic has the potential to be someone's first comic all that kind of stuff. And, and people should be able to talk about what they want to talk about and tell the stories they want to tell. Obviously, if you're doing licensed properties, that stuff gets to be harder. So I especially don't think it's fair to criticize queer creators or question why they're not making something more queer when it's like a licensed property. Right. You know, like I, I understand that like, it, you know, I don't know that, you know, in GI Joe or whatever that, you know, Duke straight. And like, I'm not going to criticize a queer creator taking that on and keeping Duke straight. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of stuff. And, and I personally like all, all of that stuff. And I love, um, you know, a lot of the work that, uh, previous queer creators have done like, you know, Howard Cruz and Alison Bechdel, uh, Rachel Pollack, um, you know, all that stuff. And, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it is a tough balance, though, because part of why you might not necessarily want to do a deep dive is because everyone's experiences are also different and yeah. you don't necessarily want to dictate what it means to be like a, a solidly like, this is what it means. <laughs> right. You, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, all of that gets very complicated very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but it is important and it's important to, express yourself and to allow other people to express themselves through your work. Yeah. I felt like when I was, when I first started finally like asking those questions and, and these types of interviews for the podcast, um, you know, I felt like for a while I was like kind of doing the, the, the queer one oh one questions, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and after a while, and I feel like, may, okay, maybe I needed it, you know, because like you said, everybody's experiences yeah. were different. And yeah. I wanted to know what each, everybody's experience was specifically in, in regards to their artistry, you know. But mm -hmm. I feel like uh, after a while, I've been, you know, I've been able to like push, you know, bring it back a little bit and just sure. like, hey, we're going to, let's talk about your art. And then if it goes to that, you know, like it did mm -hmm. with us just now, uh, yeah. then let's talk about how that fits into your artistry, you know? So, yeah, I, you know, I definitely, it, it is a bit of a learning curve, I guess, when you, you, when you start to have these discussions. But one of the things that this podcast has definitely grown to from the, you know, in comparison to the beginning is that I want to be able to have those voices of people of color of you know people from the LG, LGBTQ community, and mm -hmm. but I want to just have regular conversations about it. But mm -hmm. I want to also like have some things in those conversations to be like, this is what you know you should you should get out of it. You know this is, sure. those, yeah those little like you know queer one oh one little tidbits. Mm -hmm. You know so they can be like all right this you know these people are cool chill out mm -hmm. you know and yeah. this is you know how about you just uh you know you don't need to go to you don't need to you know wig out to them or be weird about them just like chill out yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yes yeah, so um what you know let's go back to some other things that you've uh been a part of in the in the past you mm -hmm. um you already you already mentioned that you you know you did some work on the uh the the mind uh the mind series mm -hmm. and um but uh you're also a um a part of the the deadbeats uh mm -hmm. um kind of, um anthology right now that uh mm -hmm. a wave new world's putting out i'm super excited yeah. about that i uh i contributed awesome. to the i contributed to the kickstarter for that um so many of like my favorites are a part of it uh what was your part in it uh i i was the uh editor along with eric plucky um you know i sort of had the idea and presented it and um you know we ended up doing this together um 
you, you know, I I had previously been in an anthology that uh, Eric and uh, Matt Miner organized and put out through Wave Blue World called This Nightmare Kills Fascists. So I'd already had a working relationship with Eric and Tyler. So it was uh, pretty easy to jump in there. And then, uh, you know, we sort of built our, our list of, you know, people we wanted to work with. And, you know, honestly, nearly everyone we asked was able to do it, which was really great. Um, you know, and there, there were, you know, tons of people I absolutely adore working with. I love, you know, working with Rachel Pollock and Richard Case. I was so happy we got to pair them together for the first time in 25 years or so <laughs> um, with John Workman back lettering them, you know, and uh, it, it was great, you know, and I talked to John Workman about it. I reached out to him because he had done the logo for mine. So I was like, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And I uh, said yes and was talking about how it was like. Um, when he got to reunite, I believe it was with Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers on Batman in the early 2000s, you know, after, you know, the run in detective comics and Batman that alternated with Silver St. Cloud and all that. And, uh, yeah, that was cute, you know, hearing that story and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, there was just all these other, you know, little things we wanted to do. Like, I was like, Oh, it'd be cool to have Kwanzaa, who's known for black, and Ava Cabrera from Kim and Kim to, you know, work together and that kind of stuff that really, you know, sort of fueled cobbling the anthology together. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Vita, Mags, all, all those people, it's really great to, you know, have them in a book together. And uh, we've been getting a lot of pages in. Uh, oh, Daniel Kibblesmith and Rafer Roberts. That was like, you know, uh, I, I was able to get Daniel and the I, I, first person I thought of to pair with was Rafer and it worked out. Like, it's all that kind of stuff. It was very, it was very good getting to work with Jen Hickman. I, I'd wanted to work with Jen forever. And, and this was a great opportunity. And, and the story is fantastic. Jen knocked that out of the park. Um, you know, getting Eric and Liana to work together, like just all that stuff. It, it really, it's going to be a fun book. Um, you know, I think people are going to really enjoy it. You know, it's a lot of goofy horror stuff. You know, I, I love that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, and uh, Lisa Stroll really knocked it out of the park with uh, the cover for it. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I was basically Lisa, sold on, on the comic. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I got to get this. <laughs> and then I yeah, read what no, it was about it, and I'm like, oh, shoot. OK, I'm, I really want to get this. It was really great. And uh, basically, Lisa had two concepts that she had sent us. And, um, you know, there was another concept that was really cool, too. But the one with you know, her holding the skull, I was like, can we do this, but have it in the store and have some like albums behind her? And she was like, that sounds great. And we did that. And we like suggested some like album covers that like 
it was like, can you make something that vaguely resembles some of these album covers? Um, you know, so you can see stuff like, you know, not David Bowie's Scary Monsters and Super Creeps in the background and stuff like that. Really <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, which, which, which I was really happy with. Um, you know, um, and it, it's also just been great that since the Kickstarter and all of that, we've been having, you know, a bunch of people in the book have been getting more stuff announced, like uh, Cameron uh, is doing the uh, Charlie's Angels uh, Bionic Woman book over at Dynamite now uh, with Sue Lee, which is why Sue Lee couldn't be in the book, because we also want her to be in it. <laughs> um you know, there's that. Um, Trey's has that book about the rock that that's coming out, like all that kind of stuff. It's been really great. Obviously, Danny Lord's been blowing up. Um, you know, Jen Hickman. You, you know, I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think I knew Jen was doing a book at Vault before asking them to be in this book. <laughs> And then it just worked out that way, you know, just stuff like that. But, but yeah, it, it's been great. I mean, I, I love organizing anthologies. Uh, they're really tough. <laughs> I bet you have to wrangle dozens of people and keep everyone on schedule. And, uh, while everyone's doing a bunch of other things at once and, um, you know, they're hard things on, on Kickstarter and crowdfunding. Um, I, I've been seeing uh, lately that there are uh, quite a few really amazing anthologies that, you know, are having a hard time. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to balance. Like, it's this, like, balance of you need to give new creators uh, chances through anthologies. But yeah. you also have to sell people on something. So you have to have this, like, really great idea that people are interested in. And you also have to have some names. But I do think it's the concept that really sells this. And then people... The concept, along with, like, a cover and a logo, to really capture people. It did with and me with then, that beats. Yeah. <laughs> that captured yeah. me instantly. I was like, oh, this looks like something exactly for me. Yeah, so, like, that kind of stuff. And then you scroll through and go, like, oh, I know this person, that person, that person. Cool. Right. Y you know, so, so yeah, I, I love anthologies. I think that, like, my first public, published, my first couple of published pieces were in anthologies. I think they're really important. And, you know, great way to get, you know, break in to the comics but yeah, it's there's there's a lot there to sort of make it happen, right? And and Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general, I, I think <laughs> you know it, it does get where like you're you're seeing these sort of things and you see these books coming across and you're like, oh, I can do that, and and then people stumble along the way because there is so many elements to it, you know, all of the, 
you know, having to do media coverage and podcasts and getting out there and do all the know, little extras tons. that you are, that you promise for stretch goals and stuff like yeah. that. Not just doing the book, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, luckily we really kept it pretty tight with this book. Um, there aren't too many crazy little extras and knickknacks, um, you know, outside of like t-shirts and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, a few original sketches and things like that. So, so that's good, <laughs> you, you know, cause, um, you know, mine had a, a few more extra pieces to it and it takes a while. Yeah. You know, cause then if you're selling original art, it's like, all right, now you have to <laughs> yeah. meet up with the artist. You have to get that. You yeah. have to. You know, and things and and things happen where you're like, oh, I'm sure I'll see you at this con, and then one of you aren't able to make it, and it's like, oh, do you mail it? And it's like, oh, do you risk mailing it? Like, what if it gets damaged? Maybe I should just wait till the next con. Right? You know, like there's so many factors to it. You, you know, <laughs> so so yeah, but you know, I, I think. I've learned things, Tyler's learned things, Eric's learned things, and that's why, you know, we kept it pretty pared down because ultimately people want the book. Right. You know, and you have a few higher-end things so people who just want to throw money at you can and have that incentive to and also get a little extra something for it, like original sketches. But, you know, people want the book, and, you know, we were very lucky to get, like just shy of like 1100 backers on this, which, you know, is very good for an anthology on Kickstarter and, you know, was the second biggest haul for an anthology out of wave blue world. I want to say broken frontiers was the, the number one anthology that they kickstarted a few years ago. But, but yeah, like it was, we were so happy with the response. I'm literally looking at pages and coordinating with letterers and colorists like every day at this point. So, so that'll be good to finally package that, get that out there. We'll probably be coordinating uh, different signings and all of that. And, you, you know, I'm sure we'll be at uh, Emerald city next year and, and some other places really pushing the book. So you kind of um, touched on this during that, um, in regards to the opportunities for newer creators to be a part of anthologies. So, you know, with that and just the, the creator community in general, like how important is it to just sort of uplift and sort of promote each other in this sort of community of people that you, you know, will regularly see at Comic-Cons and other, you know, conventions or whatnot you know, what's the importance of having a great, uplifting, uh, you know, comic creator community? Oh, I, I mean, it's it's paramount importance. It's the only way to really get ahead because you, it, you know, just just for, if nothing else, for morale, just to have people in your corner and people telling you, like, you can do it. You got this. Like, that's important. It sounds silly, but it's important. Like you, you need that. You need encouragement to keep going because you can't do this in a vacuum. 
um, and get where you want to be, even if you're skirting around traditional publishing and you're crowdfunding uh, a book and you're the writer artist and you're doing the whole thing yourself, even then you still need a community to buy the book. So no matter what, you can't avoid creating a, a community around you and, and being part of a community. You know, even if you're doing your own thing, you need other people in the industry that can, you know, speak positively on your behalf, that can direct people that are going to, you know, plug your book, retweet your campaign, all that kind of stuff. We're going to have you on their podcast, all that. So, so building those positive relationships, having positive interactions with people, you know, doing your part to, you know, share other people's work and recommend it, you know, and that's not necessarily going to mean that you're going to get published tomorrow by a major publisher, but you got to put that good energy out there. You got to earn that good favor and good faith in people. And if you're trying to get ahead really in anything, but particularly in comics. Yeah, definitely. And I always like to um, end my interviews on this podcast with the same question. And mm -hmm. that question is, who is somebody that you would recommend that I have on this podcast that might have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Oh, geez. I, I mean, there's, there's so many people um, <clears throat> that I could recommend. Um, geez. I, I mean, I know you already had Liana, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but there, there's people like... Um, you know, like Sabs Cooper, who um, her first published comics work is going to be in Deadbeats. And, um, you know, she was part of the Valkyries. She works in a comic shop. She has all sorts of interests and things like that that, you know, could be really interesting to have a conversation with. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, there are people like I always recommend people like Rachel Pollock. Because she is a blast. Okay. But um, I don't know if, how familiar you are with her. But, you know, not only was she the first openly trans woman writing comics at the Big Two and created the first trans superhero for DC Comics back in 93, um, she is also a world-renowned tarot expert. Oh, Nice. And she, fly, she flies all over the world. She's in Europe and China teaching people tarot. Um, she's an Arthur C. Clarke award-winning novelist. Y you know, like she, she's written at least 10 or so books on tarot, um, has helped design decks. Like she's, she's incredibly interesting. Yeah, I'm just yeah. quickly Googling her right now. And yeah, there's a bunch of cool stuff that comes up. Yeah, like she's like, you know, if you, you want to talk about someone who's had a lot of experience in the world and has a lot to say, like she's certainly one of them. Before we get out of here, um, mm -hmm. 
where can uh you know where can people go online to get more information about what you're up to and then uh, also just plug anything that is coming up for you Sure. Um, you know, probably the easiest way to find me is on Twitter at Joe Corallo. Really simple. I'm pretty good at plugging things I'm doing in a timely fashion. Um, you know, I'm also on Instagram at Corallo Joe. I don't really post stuff, but Liana's constantly tagging me in things. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, so starting next month in August, if you miss the Kickstarter for Deadbeats, you'll be able to uh, pre-order with your local comic shop. Um, so, you know, you can go do that. It'll be part of the Preview World magazine next month. Okay, great. Um, you can pre-order or order all five issues of She Said Destroy. Um, what was it? The They're all still available at the distributor level. So you can just go in, and if your store doesn't have them, you can order the issues that are out and have pre-ordered all the ones coming out. Perfect. Great. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, those are the two big things I can really talk about. Um, there's some other stuff in the works, but... I can talk about that, and I can also say that um, Margins Publishing has its Dates Volume 3 anthology coming out in September. They will have copies available at FlameCon if you're going to be at FlameCon in New York. I have a story in there with uh, Robbie Barrett about um, Japanese immigration to Brazil in 1908. Nice. Um, it's interesting stuff. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with that, um, I know it's something that they don't teach that often in, uh, American schools, but there is a fairly large Japanese population in Brazil because there was, uh, immigration from Japan to Brazil, um, that the Brazilian government was basically tricking people into coming and basically working as slaves on their coffee plantations. And then... Uh, large groups of uh, the Japanese immigrants escaped and created their own communities, and that's what right. is this big Japanese population in Brazil. I think I think something similar happened, like in Toronto, with yeah. like I don't know if it was the Japanese or Chinese to like build their rail railway system, mm -hmm. like long time ago. But yeah, I think there's something similar that happened in like Toronto. Yeah. Um... Yeah, this uh, this side of the world has uh, done a lot to uh, trick people to coming in to do work for free. Yeah, and that's a really polite way to say it. So that's my interview with Joe Corallo. Links to where you can follow Joe online will be in the show notes for this episode at freshesthepodcast.com. And like I said, please go out there and try to find uh, She Said Destroy. You can get it online digitally. You can uh, get it in the print. It's really good. All five issues have been released. And I would assume that they would probably do a trade paperback in the near future. 
Uh, so uh, definitely support that. Uh, apparently, Joe got some uh, new stuff coming in the works right now. And also go pick up Deadbeats via a Wave Blue World. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of friends of mine who uh, who did uh, contributed stories in uh, in art to that. Um, it's a it's like an anthology of a bunch of different stuff related to music and horror and stuff like that. And I can't I I contributed to the the Kickstarter for it and. Um, I, I got the digital file in my inbox today, so hopefully, uh, and I should be getting the actual physical copy soon, um, I can't wait to read it. So uh, yeah, before we get out of here, I definitely want to remind you how you can support the podcast. You can always go to uh, freshwiththepodcast.com, and please just share anything that you see on there that you like. Um, also, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh is the word. And for as little as a dollar, you can uh, support the podcast. And for the $3 tier, you can uh, have access to the Patreon-only exclusive episodes where, where I dig deep in my audio vault for stuff that I've uh, done outside of Fresh is the Word over the years and uh, get some, uh, some exclusives there, some stuff that I didn't uh, release um, that I only used a part of. So just go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh is the word and uh, help, help a brother out. Um, also, just a reminder that in the coming weeks, I'll be launching two new podcasts. I'm going to be moving all the future music episodes that I would normally have done for Fresh is the Word into two new podcasts. Uh, one's going to be a Detroit podcast called Renaissance Soul, which is named after my first website that I ever did. And the other one's called uh, Breaking Records, which is named after an old column that I did in Real Detroit Weekly. And that will be about music outside of Detroit artists. So uh, those uh, so be on the lookout for that at uh, freshofthepodcast.com. There will be a lot more announcements in regards to that. And also just remind you that um, all these podcasts will be available everywhere that podcasts are streamed. So uh, please rate and review if you can for Fresh to the Word and the upcoming podcasts. I'll have uh, trailers coming out for Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul coming up. So uh, please support if you can. All right. Another great episode in the books. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.